0: Good morning, welcome to Communitas. I'm Mike. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, we have worshiped through song for what? She apologizes as though in a wheelchair she would be able to move out of here quickly. <laughs> it's quite all right, you take your time <laughs> So we've worshiped through song and uh now this is the part of our service where we worship through the partaking of communion and the way we do communion here is an open style of communion so if you are uh not a member here but you are a a Christian uh you are welcome to partake in this meal with us this is this is a sacred meal not because of of the food with which uh, we share, but just the fact that we're sharing a meal. Now we're going to be talking about relationship, and, and in coming weeks we'll be talking a little bit more about this meal and about communion and this idea of friendship. Um, but this was the last. This is one. Of, this is the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before he was betrayed uh, and before he died. And what's cool about this meal, and what's especially interesting, and what makes this all the more pertinent and potent and beautiful, is it's it's this meal that says. I'm with you. You know, we get together now and we go to a business meeting and you sit down over lunch and you know, some people and, you know, we could probably think of, of, of times in our lives when we've, we've gotten together with folks and we've had a meal and we never really talked to them again. We never see them. you know, it's just kind of this casual, Hey, let's grab some lunch. Let's have some food. And you know, you part ways, but there was a sacredness to this, this meal that Jesus, Jesus shared with his disciples in that context. It was, uh, I'm with you. And, uh, you know, we we sang the song about you know, needing the Lord and, and 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 needing one another, and so that, that this is the context that, that this meal is shared in, and this is idea that you know Jesus is saying, "Hey, I've, I'm with you, and, and you're with me, and uh, and we all have each other's back, and we look out for one another, and we defend one another, and we speak well of one another," uh, and so that's the context of this meal. And so when we when we continue to do this and, and partake in this together, that's what we're that's what we're part- participating in, with one another. So Heather's going to play some some music. I just want us to, to take a moment and and think about that, uh, think about what this meal means and the sacredness of this meal. Um, we're going to take a few moments, prepare our hearts, as you're prepared. Come on up, grab the uh, the bread and and the juice take a seat and we're all going to partake of this together as, as one, one body, one group of folks. So sitting there in the upper room, a rented space, put aside for a meal, uh, Jesus broke bread and gave gave it to his disciples and he said, take all of this and eat it, and when you do so, remember me. And later in the meal, likewise, he took the cup and he said, whenever you drink of this, Do this in remembrance of me and the covenant that we have together. Lord, thank you for the covenant and the way of life that you have brought uh, to this earth and called us into. Pray that this time would be a time that we would remember who you are, what you've done for us. And and who and what you call us to be in the world, Amen. If there are any kids, uh, feel free to make your way on over this direction. Follow Mister Scott on out the door, and uh, they've got all sorts of fun things happening for you back there. Uh, for the rest of us, if you have your Bibles and want to open up to Ecclesiastes, that's in the Old Testament. Um, you know, about halfway through and uh, the, whole, the whole deal kind of over there by Proverbs. Now if you have a mobile device and want to take that out, feel free and go ahead and swipe whatever direction you need to do to get to Ecclesiastes and we'll be spending our time finishing out Ecclesiastes 3 and going through all of Ecclesiastes 4 um, and we're going to do similar to how we, we've been going the last few weeks. I'm just going to read through it and we're going to talk about a few things. There's a lot in there. I'm not going to hit on every single topic because, uh, you know, some of us have dinner plans and have to go to work tomorrow morning. So we're just going to touch on a few on a few few things here. So we'll start with 316. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. A man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to the dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward or the spirit of man goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, that he has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun." Then I saw that toil and all skill and work come from man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. And the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than one hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. Again I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail, one against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who is to stand in the king's place. There is no end of all the people, all whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and is striving after the wind." So here's Solomon, kind of continuing on with his really motivational, kind of Tony Robbins style message, isn't it? Right? I mean, just, God, I'm pumped. And while it doesn't come across as this super jovial message, there are really important things that we have to come to terms with, and we need to realize and some observations that he's trying to get us to understand, so that we can live life well. So. As he's just to kind of review and, and see where we're at. In weeks past, we talked about, uh, you know, we've, it, Bob has kind of set this up earlier in the summer where he talked about the glory and the grandeur and the beauty of God um, and, and this notion that our souls are designed for yes. And Solomon is going to give us some guideposts for, for what those yeses should look like. And, and he's going to use the story of his own life to talk about the various yeses that he, the uh, various things to which he said yes uh, and how that worked out for him. Um, and he's going to talk about this notion of, you know, the, in chapter 1 he talks about Hevel, you know, this meaningless, meaningless, and how everything's kind of this this smoke where it's here, but it's it's temporal, it doesn't last. And then he's going to go in chapter 2 and he's going to tell us about his his life and talk about all the things that he did, these wild parties and these grand building escapades upon which he went, and how he thought, yeah, surely that, you know, I'm going I'm to party and I'm going to have a good time and then I'm going to build this stuff and I'm going to have this great career. And that's going to work out really well for me. And then he's going to say in the latter part of his life, yeah, that that didn't really satisfy the way that I thought it was going to. And he's going to start to wake us up to this notion of time and of seasons. He's going to call us into a deeper awareness of, of God's eternal perspective. And not just eternal as far as distance into the future, but then the depth of the moment in which we are currently living one with the other. And now he's going to call and call us into into chapter four, and he's going to give us some further insight into 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 relationships and who we are and what's going on. And he's going to, and so he's he's there, and and you know, so if you kind of put yourself in the in the room with him, right? So he's he's this great teacher, and he's and he's got his students, and he's sitting there, and and it's in the building we read about in in Chronicles, the the cedars of Lebanon that have been brought all over the place, this fine ornate uh, castle that he built for himself. It takes seven years to build the temple. 14 years to build this house, so you can imagine this is a pretty sweet house, right? And so we're sitting there, and the cedars of Lebanon line the walls and line the floors. So we've got, I like our hardwood floors. We've got some pretty sweet wood floors here. But imagine just the finest of ornate imported lumber for your floor, for your for your walls, and for your ceiling right and you're sitting on these benches we've got some these chairs aren't bad you know they they could be worse but now now you're you're sitting in just the finest of chairs like the absolute best in the land and you're looking on the wall and yeah maybe it's a little bit dated maybe it's you know it's a little bit a little bit three a little bit uh, you know three decades ago, but it's still you recognize, man, that this is. I mean, this is some nice stuff. We talk about his, you know, his throne was was ivory in, overlaid with gold. That sounds crazy to me. That's awesome. Okay, so you can imagine that what you're sitting in is just. Oh, it's this is this is nice. I mean, lazy boy, you know, just ornate. Okay, and he's telling us, hey, look, trinkets and titles don't matter. Stuff and status is not going to last. So if we can picture Solomon in, in his old years, this man who was well-traveled and had, you know, well-read, well-respected throughout the land, dignitaries from all over the world coming to meet with him, you know, he's got status. Wherever he goes... He doesn't need a reservation. He just walks in, snaps his fingers, and things happen. I mean, could you, could you imagine that? Like, put yourself in that. You're going to a restaurant. Remember when, does anyone remember when OnStar came out? You know, this is this cool thing. You, you could push OnStar. And you could, I remember my, my dad was telling me about the first time he was, he was with a, a client, and got, they called, they're making a dinner reservation. And, oh, sorry, sir, we're booked. And he goes, oh, watch this. Pushes OnStar. OnStar picks up the phone. Hey, what's going on? Oh, I'm I'm trying to make a dinner reservation. Oh, that's fantastic. We'll call you right back. So OnStar calls and says, hello. This is corporate, you know, whoever. We have two people. They need a reservation. Oh, sure. That'll be fine. We'll have a table for two. You can let them know they'll be ready in 15 minutes. OnStar calls the guy back and says, yeah, you've you've got a table. Okay, fantastic. We'll be there in 15 minutes. That was not Solomon's reality. Solomon's reality was to walk in and say, hey, I'm here. Let's make it happen. And he's saying, "That doesn't matter. I missed out." This uh, this piece toward the end, we talks about the the wise youth. It's almost the, the youth that becomes the king, and and still not everybody respects him. And so Solomon has been looking out over his kingdom, and he's he's seeing his son Rehoboam being raised up, and he's like, you know, this. I thought that that status and this stuff, all these these parks that I built, these gardens that I planted, these forests that I made, these houses that I built for all of my family, I thought that was going to bring me some satisfaction. I thought I was going to get to this place, but I'm realizing in my old age that no, it's not. And so he's passing it along to us and he's saying, please get this now. You're going to experience greater freedom and greater life if you can begin to understand this now. We've been built for something far beyond what we, what we think. So we, he talks about this notion of under the sun. He says, you've been given this under the sun perspective, but you've also been built in with a beyond the sun craving. There's this, this yearning within us for something more, and he's trying to wake us up to that. And say, hey, look, I know that you're thinking, you know, it's, it, like, if you can remember in, in high school, you thought, man, once I get to college, stuff is going to be, that's going to be so much more fun. I'm going to be out of my house. You know, like I can do my own thing. I'm going to make my own schedule. If I want to take a nap in the afternoon, I'm going to do it. If I want to have, you know, marshmallows on top of my cereal, and, you know, whatever else, I can do that. I'm going to do whatever I want to. It's going to be great. And we got, you know, out of my parents' hair. It's going to be sweet and you get to college and you eat a couple meals of ramen and you're like this actually wasn't as awesome as i thought but once i get my first job man that is going to be dope i can't wait to get my first job i'm going to get a car that you know doesn't leak whatever it's going to you know it's going to actually have a muffler it's going to start every time this is going to be awesome and then you get that first car and it breaks down and a couple years later you're you're kind of looking around everybody else is getting better stuff and like Okay, well once I you know so once I get out of this this entry level job, I'm gonna get this other thing, or I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna get a different apartment, or I'm gonna get, you know, I'm gonna get a girlfriend, a boyfriend, I'm gonna get a different girlfriend or a different boyfriend, we're gonna move on, you know, and, and on and on, like this, you know, we're all laughing, like, right? This is kind of this is a common thing. We just kind of keep moving, like the next thing will be better, the next thing will be better, the next thing will be better, the next thing will be better. And Solomon's like, No, wake up. You're not going to find satisfaction in, in these things. They, they're good. You should seek after them. Work is good. Relationships are good. Status, you know, growing in your company, that's good. But ultimately, if you move from a junior level position to a senior level position, that isn't going to make you any more satisfied than prior to. It's like Your satisfaction needs to be found not in something under the sun, but in something beyond the sun. Eternity has been written upon our hearts, so that we can look beyond the sun, look beyond this life, and begin to find out what's important. And uh, so we're going to we're going to focus in here on uh, chapter four. Let's take a look at at verse nine. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up again if two lie together they keep warm but how can one keep warm alone and though a man might prevail against one who is alone two will withstand him threefold cord is not quickly broken um i think i've been a groomsman or i've been in wedding parties i think in like 13 weddings or whatever so i've heard this verse a few times at weddings anyone else heard this verse at weddings you know I, yeah, and, and it's true. It's great. I love it. You know, and it's usually the, the pastor is going to get up and they're going to say something about how you know the two. It's it's better that the you two join together, and then that this threefold cord. You know, that's God and the and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, and they're going to really bind this wedding together. Right? Has anybody else heard that sermon at a wedding? You know, pretty common, true, and pretty common. However, I think it really sells this short. I don't know that Solomon was just thinking about uh, weddings when he talks about this. And as often, you know, what so often happens, I think, in especially in, in evangelical Christian culture, is we epitomize um, marriage and family, and we forget to to talk about this in the context of of greater relationships, um, because this this verse applies to all of us, regardless of of our relationship status. And what he's trying to get at here is, is you know, last week we talked about how you know, the Lord has, has, has found out where the, he knows where the sun sleeps and he talks about how he's in Psalm 139 talks about how he's walked the depths of the ocean or excuse me, Job talks about how he's walked the depths of the ocean and how he's looking to do the same thing within our hearts. And so Solomon is saying, Hey, look, I've done the, I've done the stuff thing. I've done the status. Okay. I've had all the titles and all the trinkets, but where I missed it was I didn't know any I didn't have people that knew me. I had all kinds of women, I had all kinds of kids. the family thing I had you know I had more family than 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 most. but there was this this piece that I missed. I didn't have those those who knew me well, those who walked with me. One quick kind of a uh, if you' if you're ever wondering you know, how well you, who your friends are, just move. You'll find out really quickly, like, who your who your friends are. Has anybody moved and just had people that showed up? Uh, when I was, when Megan and I were in Boston, we got to be a part of the community life on campus. And one thing that we would do is we would organize for new students when they showed up. You'd get folks from the building that would come out and help them unload the moving truck. And it was this great thing, because you get these people that are just going, they've moved, they've left everything, all their friends and their family, and they've moved across the country, they showed up at this place, and they don't know anybody, and then a couple random strangers come out, and they help them unpack. Um, And so for us, this is our moving truck. When we moved uh, from Boston back to Minnesota. Uh, That is a U-Haul, and as you can see, that is full. Uh, Those toolboxes are full. Has anyone ever moved a toolbox before? Right? (laughs) I don't care if they have wheels or not they're tough to move and uh, I was thinking I was going to figure out how to take the drawers out I had enough guys like and I was I was thinking oh we're gonna we're gonna pack this thing up two dudes just picked that thing up and brought it down from our third floor apartment and stuck it in the back of our van awesome awesome um when Megan and I go out of town, we kind of joke about it, and it's really funny. We, you know, we leave, and we have, a, we have a Honda CRV. doesn't have a lot of cargo space. And for whatever reason, it just takes us forever to pack it up and get out of town. Does anybody else have, share this experience? Like you're trying to leave, and you think, we don't have that many things. There's only two of us. It should take no problem. How long do you think that took us to do? Three hours. We packed that entire thing, cleaned our entire apartment in three hours. Why? We had a bunch of friends who showed up and they were just like, Yeah, we we, we love you, we care about you, and we want to send you off well. What can we do for you? So we had like 10 dudes that just showed up and were like, We're going to pick stuff up and move it. And everything just went from our apartment into the truck. And then I came up, uh, I think I about cried both times that we moved. Uh, when we were leaving our apartment in Bemidji to head out to Boston, I was really nervous because, you know, we'd. We didn't know anybody out there, Um, We found out that we knew a few people. But you know, we we left this really great community, and I thought, why are we leaving friends to go where we don't have friends? And um, so I was was packing up the truck, and I went up thinking, okay, now I got to go up, and I've got to clean, I got to clean the apartment, right? Like that's pretty much the worst part about moving is you've got to do that deep clean, especially if you're renting and you want to get that damage deposit back. And I showed up, and some friends of ours had already pulled out the stove. And pulled out the refrigerator and they'd wiped stuff from before we were there off the walls and had scrubbed down the walls the floors the countertops in the furthest part of the room and had come all the way back to the entryway and when i walked in to help out clean they said wait you can't go any further we've cleaned everything else and i just went man you guys are awesome <laughs> we got a call from our landlord a little while later he's like did you do improvements on the on the place (laughs) kind of our friends did you know and so and and that's I mean obviously that's you know this is just kind of tapping into this this notion of friendship you know and, and it's easy I think sometimes we we look at friendship and we go okay yeah that's that's cool you get a bunch of people that get together and they and they move they move you that's that's one thing and I think in also to kind of go along one of the things we suffer from in the uh, in, in evangelical Christian circles is this this notion of friendship that's a little bit of a facade. like sometimes we, we feel it and it's like, gosh there you know there's yeah you know, eh, I don't know like maybe we're friends, maybe we're not you know and we kind of look as though we've got all of our ducks in a row. and the true friend is the one that helps you find your ducks when everything' kind of gone awry and gone a little bit crazy, and you don't know which end is up. And that's what Solomon's saying. He's like, you know, pursue those types of relationships. Said a little bit differently, there's this guy named Elred of Raveau, and he ran this this monastery in Europe. I can't remember when. And uh, I think we have a picture of him, maybe. Yeah, pretty good looking dude. And He wrote a bunch of stuff about friendship, and he said, and he, he, he warned people against relationships that were, were just for that were just for pleasure, you know, or out there for material gain, you know. So Solomon has this thing where he goes out and he and he has this he has this fun, right? And he's got a ton of fun, and he goes out and he, and he and he builds all these things. And Elred says, "Hey, watch out for people who are just in it for that." And then he goes on to say that a, a true friend is the guardian of love. I love this notion of of the guardian of love, the person that that builds in, you know, like relationships don't just happen, friendships don't just occur. And I started to wonder what would it look like. You know, Solomon he goes on this endeavor, and he's telling his his pupils. You know, we're back in that in that room, and he's telling his pupils about about these these escapades that he went on. And I wonder what it would look like. If Solomon would have taken that same energy and that same intentionality into his relationships, into his friends, and and, and said, Hey, you know, these people that I have around me, what would it have been like? What would it have been like for him? What would his experience have been? And with this notion of meaninglessness and vanity, what would that how would that have, have played out? And so he's gonna give us a couple tips. In our friendship and in our lives. But he's going to give us this direction. He's going to give us, he's going to ask us, pose a couple questions in our relationships. And he's going to say, What's going to allow you to do this? How are you going to pursue these kingdom relationships? And he's going to warn us and he's going to say, Hey, look, some of you are going to go out and you're going to work, and you're going to work, and you're going to work, much like Solomon did. And he's going to, he's like, eventually you're going to find yourself lacking. You're going to find that it wasn't sufficient. Don't get hung up on the work. Get hung up on the people. Get hung up on the kingdom of of God, this way of life that Jesus is calling us to. And look for people and relationships that are going to foster that and bring that about. And then he also says, there's others of you who are going to say, yeah, this life is meaningless. And you're just going to fold your hands and just say, whatever. I'm just. We're just going to let this go by. He's going to say, watch out for those people because they're dangerous too and they're not going to engage. And so he's going to continue to say, I need you to invest in your friends. Invest in the Lord. Move closer to the Lord. And he's saying that our satisfaction will be found in communion with God and in Christ-centered relationships. And so as we think about this, and we we go about uh, loving God and loving people and reaching out to the world and loving one another, what are some of the statuses and the things that we're pursuing? When we lived in Boston, it was... I a a friend of mine who was a pastor in downtown Boston, he said he was always really curious. He'd meet these people that had, had moved from all over the country, some of them all over the world to come for either the, you know, for a, a great job in the city or to get a great education. And he say and they would come in and they would say, Gosh, you know, I, I I'm able to do all these things and I'm having a great time, but I'm I'm really lonely. And he'd say, well, "Well, tell me a little bit more about this." He'd say, "Oh, yeah, you know, we had a good church. We had this, and you know, and then I, I moved here for the." He said, "Well, why why are you here?" He said, "Well, I came for this job." He said, "So he Well did 'Well, didn't didn't you have a job where you were?'" Well, yeah, I I, I wanted a better job. They said, "Oh, so you wanted a better job, but then in that trade off, you now now you're lonely." So, what would it look like for you to go back to that place where where you were known? where you had relational history where you had people who saw your blind spots and walked with you in those and called them and said hey yeah this is this is where you're coming from this is that threefold cord he said cuz right now you're you're just walking by yourself and that that is lonely that isn't how we were designed and he'd often tell these these people yeah I'm I'm really sorry that that's your experience right now that's That wasn't how you were designed. It wasn't how we were created. And you start to ask some things about what would it look like to walk with one another? And what does it look like to have Christ as the center of your relationships? And so I wonder for us here in Communitas, what would it look like for us to make choices with our life that would reflect less about getting more or better things or getting a bigger or greater title and start to build a deeper, wider, and greater church? and Build the kingdom of God that, that Christ so often talked about? What would it look like to pursue that? What things would we have to begin to lay down? What sacrifices are we unwilling to make that may reveal our own selfishness? And who do we have in our lives that we allow to speak into the depth of our soul? both to confront these deep roots that we've, that we've allowed to, to be laid, but also to speak into the deep pain and the deep wounds and to begin to bring that healing. So in our own lives, what titles and trinkets are we pursuing that keep us from the Lord? What stuff and status prevents us from walking in the fullness And keeps us bound beneath the sun, when the Lord is calling us to something beyond the sun. How are we building into those relationships? And can we imagine, for just one moment, that we're sitting in that room with Solomon, instead of, you know, and and to be able to say back. No, that's like I'm sorry that that's your that was your experience, but we've been called to something greater. What would it look like to, you know, for us to walk out of that and 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 take these warnings and really heed it and take it to heart and move about our week in such a way that would greater build the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of, of Mike. And what if our identity didn't come and the things that we owned. Or the titles that we had, or the positions we held, or our relationship status here on this earth, but rather our relationship status beyond the sun. End with this quote from Mr. C.S. Lewis i always found this helpful. It's a little bit long. I'll highlight the middle part here. But Friendship is not a reward for our discrimination and good taste in finding one another out. And this is the part that always gets me. It is the inter- instrument by which God reveals to each the beauties of all the others. There are no greater than the beauties of a thousand other men by friendship God opens our eyes to them. They are like all beauties derived from him and then in good friendship increased by him through friendship itself so that it is his instrument for creating as well as revealing. It is this feast. It is he who spread the board and it is he who has chosen the guests. It is he we may dare to hope who sometimes does and always should preside. Let us not reckon without our host. And so my prayer and my hope for us as a church is that we wouldn't continue to move only toward one another, but we would also move out toward the other in the opportunity to grow our circle larger, to reach out to our neighbor, to love one another, and to bring them into this threefold cord. So what does it look like for us to set a great table before people? And enter that, and, and invite them in. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example that you've set for us, for relationship. Being one who was known and known by others, and who knew others, and continued to call them to become more like you. Lord, we thank you that by your spirit we're able to have communion and deep relationships and walk in wholeness with others and that you haven't designed this, this journey to be one that's alone Lord we thank you that you have given us souls which are designed for yes may our yes be be said to things which will draw us deeper into You and grow Your kingdom. Amen.